Hey guys, welcome to our Sermon of the Week podcast. Today's message is from Nathan Herndon. If you're interested in partnering with us, check out our app or website for ways to give. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Well, guys, grab your Bibles, open them with me to the Gospel of Luke. I'm going to be in the Gospel of Luke just uh, momentarily, and then I'm going to be in the Gospel of John chapter 8. So you can find both of those there today. I was wrestling so hard, almost up to the last minute. I feel like I wrote four sermons this week um, because I had so many things on my heart and I really didn't have uh, crystal clear direction on, on which way God wanted me to go on, until honestly this morning. So I just wrote four sermons uh, and then really decided which direction we're going uh, early, early this morning before the sun was up. All right. But uh, you want to hear what I was going to preach on? Do you, I, I like to do this kind of stuff. Like I was going to preach. Do you know the parable of the talents? Where, where the, the vineyard, or no, the, the parable of the vineyard, where the vineyard owner um, hires people to work throughout the day, and some people work, you know, the whole day and some part of the day, and then, then some people one hour of the day, and then the vineyard owner pays them all the same wage, and then people get, uh, the, the people who worked all day got angry at the vineyard owner, even though they agreed at the beginning of the day to work for the wage that they got. And I I just saw that as the generosity of God stirs up the religious spirit like nothing else, right? So I was going to preach on that, um, but I didn't. And then I got um, just, just so blessed that when I'm reading the, the Christmas accounts in the Bible, that God loves to start with just the regular people. He didn't start with kings and prince, princesses or princes. He didn't start with the elites. He didn't start with the rich. He started with shepherds. He started with the teenage girl. He started with Joseph. He started with, with woodworkers. Come on, right? He, this Just the regular people he, he started with. And so, I man, I really believe that these are days where if you consider yourself, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm a regular person. I don't necessarily have great wealth or riches or, or talent or prestige. I actually believe that that is a divine appointment for you to actually partner with God in a way that you never imagined because he's just listening for your yes. He's not looking for your skills, right? So I was going to preach on that one. But it really hit me. In the book of, uh, of Jude, Jude said, hey, here's all the things I wanted to write to you about. But what I really felt compelled to write to you about is to contend for the faith that was once and for all entrusted to the saints. And I kind of feel like that this morning. I kind of feel like there's a lot of things, important things, that we can talk about. But there's one thing that is essential to our faith that I want to make sure that we're clear on, that we're not losing in our day, and that we're just crystal clear on this, that we have a really good understanding of who Jesus is and who he is not, okay? Let me skip to the end real quick and then I'll backtrack. That when we are celebrating Christmas, we are not celebrating a time where Jesus was born into existence. This is where I'm going. You hear this? I'm hearing this too much. I think many of us, maybe we don't even believe that, but we actually say it this way. We actually talk like Jesus actually was brought into existence when he was born to Mary in the, in the manger, right? But that is not, that is not accurate. That is actually an old heresy, you see. Uh, it's called Arianism, actually, that Jesus was made. 
So I want to clear this up today. Uh, read, read Luke chapter 2, starting with, with verse 8 to 14. Uh, with me, and I just want to make a little insight here, and then we'll, we'll dig around. But it says this, Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 8, it says, In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field. Those are the normal guys, right, and gals, right, keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, here's what hit me as I was reading, as I was studying this week, that as the angels are announcing the birth of Jesus in uh, an angelic host style and praising the, the uh, they're praising God for the incarnation, they are not, uh, they're not, uh, positioning themselves in this posture. They're not like aunts and uncles who are excited to meet their new niece or nephew at the hospital, all right? They're not like, oh, we've heard about Jesus. He's been prophesied about for so many millennia. We're so excited to see him. We can't wait to see what he's like. That is not how it was. They're not curious about what Jesus is like, and so they're excited just to tell people. Can I tell you this? That they already knew Jesus for millennia. Do you hear this? The angels were not excited to find out what Jesus was like. They knew what he was like because Jesus was not created in the manger. He was not created in Mary's womb. Okay? He had always been. He actually created the angels that were now announcing his incarnation. They knew what he was like. You know what they're excited to do? They're excited to tell the world of the joy of knowing Jesus. That's what they're excited about. Who are we going to start with? Whose heart is wide open to the best news in the world? Shepherds. We're going to tell them. They're going to get a We want people to know this man that we already know because he made us and he, we've, been, we've been worshiping him for bajillions. You know how much you know, bajillions is? It's a lot. Bajillions of years. Is that crazy? Do we ever think like that? I think many times we think that angels are showing up. And they're like, oh, goody, let me see the baby. Oh, he's going to be great. Listen, he was already great. He was already great, you see. So when we're, talk we're talking about this, we're not talking about, we're not talking about Jesus coming into existence. We're talking about a theological word call, uh, called the incarnation of Jesus. Let me just kind of define that for you in, in kind of human, non-theological terms. But it means Jesus always was, and now he who always was is stepping into the space-time continuum. <laughs> he's stepping onto earth. He's putting on flesh. And he's, he's, uh, he's joining his godness with human flesh. That's what, that's what is happening here. So this morning, I want to make sure that we understand that Christmas is not a time where we celebrate Jesus being born into exist, existence. Christmas is a celebration of the reality that God, who has no beginning or end, put on flesh 
and dwelt with us. There's a massive b- distinction between these two. One of them will ruin your life, and, and the other one will bring you great joy. And it's a truth that our brothers and sisters, do you know that brothers and sisters hundreds of years ago fought for this truth and this reality? Uh, go back with me to the fourth century Egypt. Anybody, was anybody there? All right, fourth century Egypt, right? Oh, somebody was. Great. I want to meet you. Uh, but there was a man named Arius who in the fourth century Egypt claimed that Jesus was created and finite, not infinite, but finite. And he claimed that Jesus was created and finite, not of equal divinity with the Father. Now, we call that today Arianism. But we don't hear much about that today. We talk like this, all right? But we don't link it to an old heresy that was fought for by our brothers and sisters at the Council of Nicaea. Have you ever heard of that before? The Council of Nicaea. We, see, we've lost touch with the creeds of Christendom. They weren't the creeds of Christ, the creeds in the Christian Church were not made because there was a bunch of cold, stone-hearted, theological-type people that just had nothing better to do than write a bunch of theological text. All right, the creeds, for the most part, not all of them, but for the most part, came came out of a contending for the faith. Uh, uh, an attack against um, heresy like Arianism, all right? So at the Council of Nicaea, the, the best Christian leaders of the day and scholars of the day, they gathered and they wrote the Nicene Creed. And here's, here's a snippet of it, all right? I won't re- read you the whole thing. You'll all fall asleep. You'll all drool. It'll be embarrassing. Uh, but, but here's what it says. It says, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, listen, begotten from the Father, only begotten, that is, from the substance of the Father. Now, that was massive. From the substance of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, listen to this, begotten, not made of one substance with the Father, through whom all things came into being, things in heaven and things on earth. All right? Now, this is the distinction that our brothers and sisters, Council of Nicaea, they fought against a a deadly heresy. So so we, we could enjoy Jesus for who he is, not for who he's not. All right? Now, it just can't creep back in. So John chapter 8, I just want to show you in the Bible where our friends at the Council of Nicaea got this. And I want us to enjoy Jesus for who he is, all right? Just enjoy him for who he is. I want, us, I want our hearts to well up with, with joy. I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all people. Guess where all people are? You and me, all people. And the gospel of the kingdom is not a, a doomsday gospel that says, hang on tight, you might be saved, all right? But the gospel of the kingdom is Jesus is a greater joy than you could ever realize or imagine, all right? And, so, and you can know him. You can have him. And uh, he, 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 is, he is pretty great. So John chapter 8 now. Let's, let's flip over there. This is Jesus. I'm going to let Jesus kind of contend for his own identity here. 
And, and that is actually what he's doing in John chapter 8 when he is arguing. This is, I, I love this because Jesus is really putting it to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were religious leaders of the day. They're arguing with, with Jesus. Jesus ticks them off nonstop because Jesus is systematically breaking down all of their man-made rules and regulations that they made to try to be righteous. And Jesus is coming along and saying, I'm fulfilling all of the law for you. It's not your righteousness that the Father's looking at, it's mine, and you can have my righteousness if you want me, you see. And so he is systematically breaking down all of their arguments. He says it's about the love of God, it's about the grace of God, it's about faith in God, it's not about your ability to obey the law. Now this is undermining everything because the whole Jewish system was built on controlling people with not only the the. Old Testament law, but also the uh, man-made Pharisaical law that was even bigger than the Bible itself, than the Torah. All right, is this crazy? So Jesus comes in and says, it says homie, don't roll like that. Is what he, you have to know the Greek to understand, and actually a little Aramaic there, to really understand that, you see? So, but here's what happens. Um, John chapter 8, starting with verse 48, this is in the, in the we're picking this up mid-argument. All right, we'll, we'll backtrack a little bit, but we'll pick this up mid-argument. Jesus says, John chapter 8, verse 48, the Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word... He will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the, pro and the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Now this, this is beautiful. This is like a slow pitch for Jesus here. Look at verse uh, 54. Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Now listen to this, verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it. And was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Now there's a whole lot going there, and there's more going on there than we even know because we picked this up mid argument. All right, but I want to talk here uh, about uh, you know the context. I've already shared with you a little bit. He's talking to Jewish leaders; they're not understanding Jesus. Jesus is messing up all of their man-made traditions and rules, and as a result, they're furious at Jesus. And I see in here three reactions of the Jewish leaders that show their blindness to who Jesus is, but also set up Jesus to be able to speak the truth. Okay, so here's, here's the first thing that I want you to see, and this, this comes from verse 48 to 55, but the Jewish leaders are accusing Jesus of being demon-possessed. With all of the crazy things that he is, uh, he is saying and stating and claiming, their only explanation is, you've got a demon. 
All right. Now, Jesus obviously does not. And Jesus even says that. But um, that is their only explanation. Actually, if you back up to verse uh, 39, listen to some of the things that that Jesus is saying. So this is verse 39. I don't think it's on the screen. Just follow along. But said they answered him. Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing what Abraham did. So what Jesus is saying to the to the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day is you do not even belong to the people of God. In other words, Abraham is not your your father. You don't know him. If you knew him, you would be doing what Abraham did. Now, what did Abraham do? Abraham did not try to perfectly obey God and then be righteous. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So if these people were Abraham's kids, like you and I are, all right, then what they would be doing is they'd be walking in the faith of Abraham, not the religiosity of the world. All right, so verse so so the 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 Pharisees though are blind. Their whole world is made up by rules, and so they're saying you must be possessed. All right, now look at verse forty-seven here. I just pop down there. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why this is what Jesus is saying. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not, not just of Abraham, but you are not of God, he's saying. Wow, that, that must have stung a tad because these were the guys in the day that were, that were looked to by society as these are the ones who know God. These are the teachers of the law. These are the people who are teaching us about God and how to get to God. And Jesus is like, these are not the teachers of the law. They don't walk in the faith of Abraham. They're not of God at all. You must have a demon, they say. And say, you know what the proper response to that would have been? It's repentance. Oh, my word, Jesus, you're right. But their hearts are hard. And so they accuse Jesus of being possessed. That was, that was one reaction. Now look at, look at their next uh, reaction. Is they, I love this one. They actually react to his age. All right, look, look at verse 56 here. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. I'm going to talk a little bit about what that means in a second. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? So they're reacting to his age because... What Jesus is, is doing is Jesus is, is basically saying, I am personal friends with Abraham. I've talked to him. I know the man. Beat that. And they're like, <laughs> they're like, no, we can't beat that because that doesn't even make sense. Now, now, at the time of history, Abraham would have been about 2,000 years old at, during this conversation. And so the Pharisees are saying to Jesus, you're not even 50, you're, you're, you're like 33 years old, 32 years old, maybe. You're not even 50. Even if you're a 50, you're, you're still almost 2,000 years off the life of Abraham. How in the world can you make these claims? And Jesus says, well, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. So, so Jesus has personal knowledge of Abraham because Jesus and Abraham ha- had been hanging out in heaven together for quite some time, you see. All right? So Jesus is speaking to Abraham's hope when, when, Ab- when, when he says this, 
Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. In other words, since Abraham's hope was in the coming Messiah, not in his own righteousness, his hope was in the coming Messiah. He, all he wanted, his joy was bound up in, man, I would love to see the incarnation, God with us, the Messiah walking the earth. I would love that. My heart, that's what my heart wants. I would, I would love that. Okay, so when Jesus says he rejoiced to see my day, but then he also, uh, that's what he meant. He, he also says that he saw it and was glad. I really believe that through the eyes of faith, Abraham saw there is a day coming when God is going to put on flesh and the Messiah is going to come and, and he is going to walk among his people. I can see that spiritually speaking. I can see that through the eyes of faith. I can see the day coming. I would love to see it with my physical eyes, but listen, my faith eyes are enough. All right? So your father Abraham rejoiced to see that day. Jesus is speaking to Abraham's hope. Do you know that hope and faith are very similar? All right? Hope is basically faith on its tiptoes, as one theologian said. It's like believing God, but, but hope is faith on its tiptoes for what has not yet happened, but claiming it as though it has, you see. All right? So that's hope. So that was Abraham's hope in the coming Messiah. And it's based on the promises of God through Abraham's line. All right? In other words, Jesus is saying, Abraham would have loved to have seen me, the Messiah, who is promised. All right? The Pharisees can't get this because the Jews thought that, that uh, here's, here's the main thing that the Jewish leaders were thinking that Jesus was saying, is they were thinking that Jesus was claiming to have been alive since Abraham. In other words, they think that Jesus is claiming to be about 2,000 years old. All right? But... Skip down to verse 58 for a second. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, notice that, that if Jesus was claiming to have been alive a long time, like the Arians would have said, all right, Jesus probably would have said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I was. This is why we need to study the Bible grammatically, all right? Jesus is not saying I was. Jesus is saying I am. I am. You're not even 50 years old. How have you seen Abraham? How do you know Abraham? How do you know the father of the Jewish people? Well, I'm, I'm skipping ahead. It's because Jesus is not the I was. He is the I am. All right? So, and, and, and the, the, the third point here is that this is the third and final reaction of the Pharisees in this conversation is they say, okay, listen, we've told you that you're demon-possessed. We told you that you're not even 50 and you're talking like you know Abraham. All right, this is nonsense. Now we, now we know what you're saying. And so our third and final reaction is we're going to stone you to death. That's what the law calls for. We're, we're, so they start to pick up stones to kill Jesus. Why would they do that? Why would they do that? Why would they pick up the what? Just because they're angry and frustrated, maybe, and they're angry and frustration, but it's deeper. It's more theological. It's more a, a, a part of their, of their whacked out misunderstanding of the scriptures. So the, the Jews' reaction in verse 59 is because Jesus clarifies and says this. He says, Jesus says, listen, hold on, guys, hold on. I am not claiming to have been alive for 2,000 years. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that I'm the great I was. I'm not saying to have, have been alive 
you know, uh, just before Abraham. If that was the case, he would have said before Abraham was, I was. Here's what Jesus said. Let me clear this up for you. This is what Jesus is saying. Let me clear this up for you. I'm actually claiming to be God, Yahweh, with no beginning or no end. I'm not claiming to have been alive for 2,000 years or more. I'm claiming to have never been made and been eternally existent in myself is what I'm claiming. And the reason I can say that is because the, the two words that Jesus uses, he says, I am. I am. I don't know if there's two more powerful words that Jesus has ever used than I am. It's, show, it's, it's showing who Jesus claimed to be. It is, it is, it is he taking on basically the, the, uh, the identity of Yahweh. And not just taking it on, but just in a revelatory way saying, this is who you are talking to and always have been. Jesus is claiming that he is Yahweh, the God of Israel, the great I am. Do you know when this word shows up uh, throughout history, power ensues? Do you know that? In John chapter 18, and I, I don't have this on the screen, I don't think, but I'm just going to turn there. It's John chapter 18 verses 1 through 8, and this is when uh, Jesus is betrayed by Judas, and, and, uh, and Jesus is in the garden, and Judas, being Jesus' friend, knows where Jesus would be after the Passover meal, and he knows that he's in the garden, so he brings all of the, uh, all of the, the troops and all of the officials to the garden to arrest Jesus. And what happens when the people say, hey, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. Look at, look at verse, verse 5 of John chapter 18. They, they, they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. That's who we're looking for. Listen to this. Jesus said to them, I am he. I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. All right? This is what, hap this is what happens when you are in the presence of greatness, and this is what happens when, when, the, when, the, powerful, when the powerful word of I am, the I am happens, is nobody can stand when the, that revelation is released. All right? This is why I believe Listen, this is why I believe in being slain in the spirit or whatever you want to call it. Because when, God, when the revelation of God hits you, you can't stand. You just go out. All right? I have no biblical problems with this. Sometimes you fall back. Sometimes you fall forward. But listen, get on the ground around I am. That is, it is actually a way more biblical thing than saying, oh, I can stand. I'm good. No, nothing's touching me. We're, we're good. Nothing. Listen, if, if you're never on the ground, I would say that's the greater problem, you see. All right? So like this is when when you realize that Jesus is the I am, you go out just like these heathens that were going to arrest Jesus. Now let's go way back for a second. Let's go to Exodus. Let's go crazy. All right, Exodus chapter three, verse uh, verse thirteen. Here, here is here is Moses. And he's actually talking to God at the burning bush, and he's receiving his assignment. All right? 
He's receiving his assignment. And God is speaking to Moses. He has him take off his shoes. He says, this is holy ground. He's speaking to Moses. And Moses is speaking to God. And he's saying stuff like, who am I that you would use me? That, that is the great part. God's like, man, I love to use stutterers. I love to use shepherds. I love to use teenage girls. I, I love to use people that are just willing to say yes. That's who you are. All right? So, but then let's, let's look at, at verse 13 of Exodus Chapter 3, it says, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? All right? So in other words, Moses is saying, Hey, you got to tell me your name so I can tell them, the God that's sending, them, uh, sending me to them, in your name. Got me? Verse 14, God said to Moses, Listen, I am who I am. And he said, say, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Now, this passage would have been basically spiritually tattooed into the heart, mind, soul, and bodies of the, of the Jewish people. They would have known, this was an act, this was an act. They know exactly what is going on when Jesus, with all intentionality in the universe, is saying, I am. They all know that they're pointing back to this, where Jesus is saying, the God of Moses, the God of Abraham, the God of all the prophets, the God that was, the God that is, and the God that is to come, I am. That is me. That is me. Now, this is why they decide to pick up stones and kill Jesus, because they don't believe that. They believe that he's the heretic. He's trying to tell them that they are. But they pick up stones to kill Jesus because they're saying, you are claiming to be God. Hey, can I just pause for a moment? And I hear a lot of times when we're talking apologetics, you know, defenses for our faith and everything. A lot of people that you know, maybe have never even read the Bible say that Jesus never claimed to be God, All right? Well, I would just beg to differ. Based on just this even one passage that we're reading, Jesus claimed to be the great I am, which is Yahweh, God. And, and for the record, this, this, word, this word Yahweh, or the great I am, or God, or some, when it, sometimes when you translate it, it's, it's Jehovah. Um, the, it's Y-H-W-H, and the, the scribes would spell his name all capitalized and with no vowels. And every time they would go to make the Y, they would actually empty the ink in the pen, clean the pen before they go to the next one, empty the ink in the pen, clean the pen before they go to the next one, just out of pure reverence for the name, the powerful name of God. All right, so we, we talk like, yeah, Jesus is my homeboy, yay. And, and, there, and in a sense, like he is. I, he, we're, we're a friend of God. We got the cross. We got the empty tomb. Like we're, we're literally sons and daughters, but there is a sense that we have to remember who, in fact, we are dealing with here when we're dealing with Jesus. We're dealing with Yahweh. We're dealing with the great I am. And, and here's the beautiful thing. We get to know him not based on our works and efforts and religiosity. We get to know him by him and through him because of what he has done on the cross through, through the faith of Abraham. We get to know him, all right? 
So Judas and the guards come to get Jesus. Jesus says, I am he. They all fall to the ground. That's because he is who he says he is. Jesus links himself and his own identity with the great I am in Exodus chapter 3. All right? And then I also want to show you this, though. And this is, this is I want to show you what's called Christophanies in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is full of, of appearances of the pre-incarnate Christ throughout Scripture. Do you know that? You know that Jesus shows up in the Old Testament. Why is that? Because he always was. He didn't just come on the scene at Christmas. He always was. This is who you're dealing with. All right? So did you, do you remember the one? It's actually Judges uh, 13. I don't have this on the screen either. It's, I know it's a big help today. Uh, but uh, the Judges chapter 13, the angel of the Lord, often when you read the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament scriptures, that is, uh, that is in my opinion, usually a Christophany or an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ in the Old Testament, all right? So what happens here in, um, in Judges chapter 13, 18 to 20, uh, the angel of the Lord is speaking to the parents of Samson, all right? And it says, and the angel of the Lord said to them, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? Now, that's not how an angel talks. That's how God talks, Okay? All right, that's it. Angels don't claim that their names are wonderful, except for one, Lucifer, and we know what has happened and is happening to him. All right? So, uh, but uh, verse 19, so Manoah, that's the father of Samson, took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord. Now, that, that word Lord, that's all caps Yahweh. To the one who works wonders, and Manoah and his wife were watching, look at verse 20, and when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. So in other words, the, what they, the parents of Samson thought they were talking to an angel. It turns out they were talking to God. God goes up in the flame. In other words, he's receiving the sacrifice that they just made. All right? Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. Oh, excuse me. I don't know where that, that came from there. And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame uh, of the altar. Now listen to this. Now this is, this is what happens in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is what happens when, when we are struck with the reality of who God is. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. Why? Because they just came in contact with the angel of the Lord. In other words, the great I am, Yahweh, and they saw him, and they didn't die. They're just out. You see that? Or how about the other one? I, I won't have us turn there, but it's, it's Daniel uh, chapter 3, verses 24 to 25. It's when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will not bow down at the, at the king's idol. And they're like, we would rather be thrown in a furnace than bow down to, to a God that we know is not God. We know God. We're not going to bow down to something else. I don't care if it costs us our life. This is how Christians have have talked and thought and processed persecution throughout history. I, our, we've already lost our life and found it. I am not, I, listen, all of your threats do not scare me, all right? And so what happens is when King Nebuchadnezzar gets angry because he thought he was God, he has the furnace burning 10 times more, hotter than it ever has. They throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace. The guards who threw them in actually died on the, on the launch, 
all right? And then Nebuchadnezzar is watching because he wants to see the satisfaction of people who would not worship him burn. He wants that. This guy's demented. And what happens, though, is, let, let me just read this to you. Daniel chapter 3, verse 24 to 25. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. Now listen to this. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Okay, guys, listen, here's what I really believe. Listen, we won't get into all the other, you know, 50 different places where there's a Christophany, but I believe that this is not just Jesus sending an angel to walk with Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. I believe that this is Jesus actually showing up, the pre-incarnate Christ, showing up in the fire with these men. And the reason that he looked like Nebuchadnezzar, he has no language to describe what he's seeing. He's like, this guy's like a son of the gods. This guy's like a god walking with them. Well, the reason he looks like that is because he is that. He is God walking with the three men in the fire. And these guys get unbound but not singed. Come on. Come on. All right? Now, we could keep going and going and going and going. But I want to I tell you this. I just want to wrap this up here. Because I want to tell you, when we're talking about the incarnation, we're not talking about a Jesus who suddenly came on the scene. But we're talking about a Jesus who has always been. All right? He is the great I am. He is God. And it's important that when we really face life and when life gets hard and we really face fire and we really face trial and we really face stuff coming at us, we really face the reality of, of our own predicament, our own situation, that light has come into the world, but we love darkness instead of the light. When we really start facing our own situation, can I tell you this and can I recommend this, that we need someone more than some guy that just showed up on the scene a while back, lived a good life, died for some people kind of because he was a good dude. That is the Jesus that is kind of being talked about, the kind of Jesus that, you know, that, yeah, he was a cool guy. There's even commercials about Jesus now. You know, Jesus, he's, he's just like us. Well, have you, are you eternally existent? Like, uh, do you tell angels where to go? Do you, do, you, do you speak to nothing and universes explode from your words? Oh, yeah, Jesus, just like, listen, a Jesus who was born and started existing 2,000 years ago, maybe real similar to us. But the kind of Christianity, when we believe that, the, the, the best we'll get out of that kind of Christianity is just a good example that we can't follow. A powerless, like, a powerless example. We'll watch someone that, that seemed to get it right. And that's basically saying, now you do likewise. Well, we can't. That's our predicament. We can't. We, we need put back together. We need rescued, and we need Holy Spirit power to follow. Like, we don't just need a good example. Notice I'm still wearing glasses. All right, let, let me tell you a little, a little story about this. I went to an optometrist, you know, I told you about, you know, they, they thrust, you know, a lightsaber into my eyeballs, they harnessed the power of the sun, shot it into my eyes, all this stuff. Well, well they, they put a diagnosis on me, uveitis is what they called it. 
And they basically said, I really want to refer you to some other doctors because uveitis stems from other stuff like immune things and, you know, autoimmune diseases and all this stuff. So you're really in a heap of trouble, they're telling me. We want to get you into the right places. I'm like, oh, my gosh, uveitis. I turned very Hanoverian. I was like, holy cat's got uveitis up in here. Yeah, I'm just like, wow. A little concerned. I go home. I tell my, my wife, it's uveitis. She's like, oh, what's that? I was like, I don't know. Something about immune to this. She's like, oh, holy cow. She gets, she gets Hanoverian under, under the influence. All right? So, so anyway, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm like after somebody prayed for me. Um, it was Cher, actually. Cher prayed for me last week after church in my eyes. I could stare directly into the light, and I had no problem whatsoever. All right? But once, when I went home, it started getting bad again. All right? So I, I actually, well, Tuesday morning, all this stuff, I'm like, I was sitting at, a, at a, a breakfast meeting just a few days ago, and there was just a nice little light hanging over the table at Perkins, all right? And I couldn't even look at the, I had to stare at the ground. I couldn't even look at the person that was, like, that's how sensitive my eyes were to the light, all right? Now, so what, what is, why am I telling you this? It's because Adrian then gets on the phone, and she calls up not an optometrist, but an ophthalmologist, and the ophthalmologist said, hey, we'd love to take your, your husband as a patient. We can't get him in until, like, it was something like December, like, 27th or something like that. How's that sound, they say to, to my wife. And Adrian says, that won't work. You're, you're, you need to get Nathan in here immediately. They said, give me a second. They get back on the phone. They said, how's now? Adrian's like, bingo. Adrian's like, get your shoes on. You're heading to Gettysburg. I, 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 I'm just driving. This is like through the ice storm slash rainstorm. I'm driving my forerunner through all, all this stuff. I get there. I walk in. It's beautiful people. This one nurse lady recognized me. She goes, I know you. I watch Providence online. Like, oh, great. I felt like it was family and stuff already. This ophthalmologist looks in my eyes, and she goes, you don't have uveitis. Because you're wearing the wrong contacts. They're just, it's messing with your eyes. Take this gel. And I had put this gel in my eyes. From the first drop of gel in my eyes, I have not had a problem, but I just can't wear contacts yet. Probably next week. We'll see what happens, right? All right. Here's, here's why I'm saying all this, guys. Listen, listen. I, I want you to hear the testimony, but I also want you to see, too, when you get the wrong diagnosis... All right, you will be put on a course of fear of the wrong direction. Like I, I, I wanted, I, I was supposed to get four hundred dollar eye drops that would have probably burnt my eyes and created a problem because I was diagnosed wrongly. All right, listen, when we do, when we look for a Christianity uh, actually apart from who Jesus is, it puts us on a path that is that is different than Christianity. And many of us, we're, we're looking at Jesus, and we're like, oh, man, what a great example. Jesus didn't come to be a great example. He came to be your life. He didn't come to sh just to show you how to live. He came to live for you. He, he didn't come so you would try harder to be like him. He, he came to absolutely, rev in a revolutionary way, change you from the inside out. You see? All right? So that, that's, that's point, number, point number one on why this is important. But here's, here's the other part on why this is important, all right? Is when we think of Christmas, we think of you know, God coming to earth and all this stuff, all right? But I want you to think, this is the eternally begotten Son of God in this manger. This is the one who has always been, who has actually put on flesh, and he's done it out of love, this is, so I want to tell you this, the, the incarnation of Christ was humanity being pursued by God. 
And since Jesus is who he says he is, that means that you are not being pursued by some guy who knew how to live, kind of. You are being pursued by the great I am. You're being pursued by the Lord of all creation. You are literally, like, if you've written lots of things over your life, write this one. I am pursued by Yahweh himself. Himself. Is this crazy? Is this wild? That God is not just sending messengers, but coming to himself. He who always existed now says, you know what? I'm going I'm to get down there in the mess with them. I'm going to live perfectly, not to be an example for them, but to purchase their righteousness. Only I can do it. You know why? Because I'm God, Jesus says. You are pursued by God. Listen to this. Just close your eyes for a moment. No matter how bad you feel about yourself today, no matter how many things that you've done wrong all throughout your life, no matter what's happened in you, all right, no matter how you feel like you've messed up even this morning or last night, no matter what dream you had last night, no matter what lies you believe from the enemy about who you, maybe, maybe even who you actually are, what you've actually done, like all of that stuff, all of that stuff that's been flying your way, and you've been holding that life up to Jesus, and you're like, man, Jesus lived such a much better life. I, would, I can never be like him. Let me, let me tell you this. Let's cancel all of those lies right now, all right? And like this is, this, is, this is not about you trying to be worthy enough for Jesus, worthy enough to be led into the kingdom. What this is about, this is about the worthy one pursuing you because you're wanted, you see. You are wanted. You're pursued by God. You're wanted by God. Wanted. The incarnation, when you look at this baby, this baby, it, what, what written all over it is like, Humanity is wanted by, wanted by God, pursued by God himself. Wow. God, I just pray that you would, you would write on people's hearts just this, this significance. I just even pray, Lord, that even today people would, would hear the feet of the Father running to them, to pursue them, chasing them down whatever road they find themselves on today just pursuing them, that they would actually have not an encounter with some worldly idea concocted, but a real encounter with the very real God, the great I am, Yahweh in the flesh that wants you, that wants you. God, I pray in, spiritually speaking, even like physically speaking, open our ears to hear in a different realm, to hear your footsteps coming after your people in these days, God. We bless you, we bless you, we bless you. Thanks for checking out our Sermon of the Week. If you have questions or would like to get connected, download our app or visit us at providencecommunity.org.